Welcome to the Voice and Sport podcast. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Kira Kondi, the first woman to represent the United States in rock climbing at the Olympics. Outside of her recent Olympic experience, Kira has competed in multiple IFSC World Cups and IFSC World Championships. Kira was also named one of Time Magazine's Next Generation Leaders and appeared on the Forbes 2021 30 Under 30 list. After being diagnosed with severe idiopathic scoliosis at the age of 12, Kira was advised not to continue her climbing, but with strength and perseverance, she came back better than ever after surgery and started to dominate the sport. In this episode, Kira shares with us how she built self-confidence that led her into all the right places and what she hopes to see for the future of a sport that does not get enough recognition. Kira, welcome to the Voice in Sport podcast. It's incredible to have um, one of the first Olympian rock climbers with us, and it's such an amazing sport. I've always been in awe of it. And so I want to start back to like where, where you started. No, you were going to be going to the Olympics in rock climbing, or did you start off playing other sports when you were younger? Um, well, I guess, first of all, I was definitely a super athletic kid. Like I was always the one taking gym class very seriously, you know, trying to keep up with the boys and stuff like that. I never thought I'd be an Olympian, especially once I found climbing, because climbing wasn't actually in the Olympics until 2016. And so I started climbing in 2009. So it wasn't even on my radar. You know, I loved watching the Olympics and watching gymnastics and like the things that were the closest to climbing. Um, and then when we started doing our Olympic bid, I, that kind of became a potential reality. Um, and that's kind of when I started thinking about it and really wanting to be an Olympian. And then once climbing actually got into the Olympics, that was when it really became like from dream to potential reality and, you know, into realizing that in 2019 uh, when I qualified. Yeah, it's not a sport you hear a lot about every day. So I'm so interested to know, like, when were you introduced to it? What was the first time you actually started climbing? Yeah, I think I had gone to the gym a couple of times, you know, like kind of classic family outing as a kid. And then the one that really made it stick was I went to a birthday party. Somebody in my grade just had their birthday party at the local climbing gym. And the guy who was leading the birthday party was kind of like, you should, you should climb this one now. And then he was like, oh, maybe you should climb this one now because I just kept doing the ones he would put me on. And then afterwards told me that there was a team at the gym. And I didn't even know that there was rock climbing teams. And this was, of course, in 2009 when climbing was even even less popular than it is now. So it's still a pretty underground sport, but it's been blowing up. And so I, yeah, in school, people would be like, that's a real sport. Like, I didn't know that <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, joined the team and, you know, I was doing musical theater at the time. And so I stopped doing musical theater and fully dove into rock climbing. And how did you view rock climbing at such a young age? Was it the balance of like fun and competition? Like, how did you view it? Did you personally view it as a sport when you were young? I definitely did. I think I didn't do well with team sports. I'm like a pretty independent person. So like having somebody else call the shots, like a coach who like tells you which position to be in and stuff like that really didn't um, like sit well with me. I would disagree and not want to do it. And so having a sport where it was totally up to me what I would do on the wall and then people would give advice was like perfect for me because I could totally figure it out myself and was totally in control. And so that's, I think, still to this day why I love rock climbing. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's one of the things I loved about ski racing growing up. Similarly, like it's like what you put into it and it's you and the mountain and it can be really rewarding. Sometimes it also can be lonely. So did you feel like growing up in the sport, it was lonely or did you feel like you had a community that you leaned on? I think it was definitely somewhat lonely, especially if I look back on it. When I started climbing, like I said, it wasn't nearly as popular. And so I was, I was pretty good to start off and, you know, most of the other people in the gym were 25 year old dudes. And so I was a 12 year old girl 
thinking I was cool enough to hang out with these 25 year old guys. And, you know, I just obviously was not <laughs> like not hanging out with them. It would, would have been kind of weird. And so it was felt like I was constantly trying to fight into like a boys club that I wasn't a part of. And that definitely helped shape like the climber that I am today, because I have a way more aggressive climbing style, I think, than a lot of other people. And that definitely comes from trying to prove myself over and over again in the in the bouldering cave with all these dudes when I was like super young. Well, and did you have any role models that were women in, in the sport or do you have them now? Yeah, probably one of the biggest ones that I had is right when I started on the team in Minnesota, Alex Johnson, who's still climbing to this day, was just winning all these World Cups. And she like, I didn't even know World Cups existed in climbing. And so here she was winning them and climbing at my same gym. And yeah, we're, now we both live in Salt Lake, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> but yeah, she was, I think, 19 when I was 10. And so we um, or 19 and I was 11. And so that was like definitely how I was introduced to that whole side of competition climbing and even knew to make those my goals. Amazing. Well, also at a young age, you discovered that you were diagnosed with severe scoliosis. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like for yourself and for people who don't know what it is, maybe just described, you know, getting that diagnosis, what it is and and how did you discover it? Yeah. So scoliosis, first of all, is basically a, a curve or bend in your spine. And so instead of my spine being, you know, perfectly straight, like it's supposed to be, I had an S curve, which means that basically right below my neck, it curved left and then under that it curved right. So it's more like a windy road than a straight line. <laughs> and we caught mine really late because of that S curve. I actually looked pretty like straight. Like usually if somebody has scoliosis, one shoulder is way lower than the other and you can really notice by looking at them. But because I had those two balancing out curves, uh, I still looked pretty straight up and down and that's why we caught it so late. And so when we did catch it, I actually needed to pretty much immediately need surgery. It was already past the point of like being able to brace it. And so we basically immediately tried to find surgeons who could keep as much mobility as possible so that I could keep climbing. We found Dr. Lonestein at Gillette Children's Hospital and he was super supportive of climbing, whereas other doctors I had seen were really not. And that was important to me and he knew it and he did my surgery and I now have 10 vertebrae fused. So basically T2 through T12 are just one bone. So it's kind of like having like a single bone where you should have a bunch of joints. Wow. Okay. And what age were you when this happened? Did it affect your dreams and hopes for rock climbing or like how, how did that go for you? I think I was 13. It was in 2010. And I think it was nice that I was so young because I didn't realize the severity of the surgery itself. So I was like, of course, I'll go back to climbing, like no problem. But my parents, of course, were super worried about it. And I'm sure the doctors were too. But the doctor I had was, like I said, super supportive and told me to send him a picture when I was back on top of the podium. And that was super encouraging, like just knowing that he knew I could do it. And then I think having that that thing to overcome really made me super motivated in climbing when I was kind of losing some amount of interest, maybe burning out a little bit. I was too young and taking it too seriously. And so then I had it taken away from me with the surgery and then got it back after after taking four months off. It, I just like suddenly loved it even more and have never wanted to stop since. Okay, so then from from recovering from that incredible surgery, you know, what was your journey like between, you know, age 13, 14 through college? Because you went to college, you studied at the University of Minnesota, and then we, you went on to the Olympics. So I'm like, kind of want to stop before we get to the Olympics. Like what happened between 13 and like, what does rock climbing look like in terms of a journey for a young woman in sport? I wasn't naturally the best. Like I wasn't the kid who was just winning everything off the bat. I was naturally like pretty good, but definitely had to work super hard to then step up that level and start 
winning youth nationals, for example. So I didn't win youth nationals until after my back surgery. And I think it was that extra push of motivation that that back surgery gave me to want to overcome it uh, and prove, you know, this other doctor wrong who told me that sport wouldn't be important and that one day I'd have a family and that I wouldn't, I wouldn't care about climbing. Uh, and that really, you know, was the kind of motivation I needed uh, to be like, okay, like I'm going to prove this guy wrong. Yeah. So I didn't win nationals until after my back surgery. And so it was kind of a slow progression and I really learned how to work hard, I think, and see that when I worked hard that I would sometimes get the results I wanted. And so I think having that positive reinforcement of working hard and then seeing the um, really helped me kind of pursue that dream towards the Olympics, because once it happened, I knew that if I worked hard towards it, that it was a possibility that it would happen. I love it. Well, it happened. And you represented Team USA in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, the first Olympics where climbing appeared as a sport. So what was that first moment like when you qualified and you knew you were going to be the first team going to the Olympics for your sport? Yeah, I think I have never been so stressed in my entire life than I was at that qualifying competition. The entire season had been super stressful leading up to that. First of all, we had to make our World Cup team. Then you had to do well at the World Cups to qualify for the qualifying event. And then you had to actually do well at the qualifying event. And so it was like a year-long process starting in January of qualifying for the team all the way until November when I actually went to the qualifying event in Toulouse, France. And I think I didn't sleep more than seven hours that whole week, like in total, (laughs) because I was so panicked about this event. I just kept picturing myself climbing and, you know, topping a climb or falling at the beginning or all these different possibilities. And the moment that I actually qualified actually happened almost exactly how I pictured it, you know, because obviously I'd been picturing what it would be like. And, you know, I thought I would cry and that my parents would be there and that I'd hug them and that I'd get a photo of it and that I'd post that photo to Instagram with the caption, like, I've worked so hard for this. And that's almost exactly what happened. I, I was sobbing. My parents came over and we hugged and then we got a photo of it and I posted it that night. So, um, like, almost exactly how I had imagined it. It was, like, kind of trippy. That's so amazing. Well, being one of the first rock climbers at the Olympics, did you feel a lot of pressure and anxiety when you were actually on your way to going to the Olympic Games? And if so, how did you deal with that? I think because of, you know, the whole COVID situation and the year delay and all of that, we were just really, really happy to be there, really excited that the Games actually went on and that we were able to do it in a safe way and get to represent our sport. Um, You know, you're not an Olympian until you actually compete at the Olympics. And so uh, a lot of us were talking about who competed there, that the moment that we did our speed climb and officially competed at the Olympics and were an Olympian. There was kind of this sigh of relief. Uh, um, I definitely felt pressure to, you know, represent my sport well and showcase uh, just because I think it's such an amazing sport and it's so good for your confidence and for your strength and just everything. And I'd love for more people to be involved. So that was definitely where I felt the pressure. I mean, the spotlight's on you, right? You're bouldering, you're doing the speed climbing. I mean, it's a lot and people, all eyes are on you. So have you ever like used a sports psychologist along the way? And what benefits have you taken from working with one? Yeah, I really utilized a a sports psychologist in the last like couple of years, especially leading up to that qualifying event I was talking about and leading up to the Olympics, just because I do have some unique issues, especially with my back to deal with. I do have like way limited mobility that nobody I'm competing against has well that exact thing especially and so you know learning how to deal with a climb that is maybe super challenging for me in particular because of that was something that she really helped me with and then also just you know how to train with your competitors because like here we are in Salt Lake I had always climbed alone in Minnesota and here there's a bunch of girls who are all like my same age ish all training for the same goals and 
it's just interesting to have that dynamic of everybody being super competitive, but also super supportive. So how to, how to manage that and, you know, use it to your best advantage while um, not getting too stressed. Um, that was something we would talk about. And then also how to body, issue, body image and uh, all sorts of problems and like that and climbing. Yeah, we're going to get into those um, conversations today, both body image and confidence, because we know it's one of those things also in the sport of running and climbing, like it can be, unfortunately, something that a lot of young women face. Mm -hmm. Before we get there, though, I do want to know a little bit more about the different disciplines of rock climbing, especially for our audience that might not know. So there's bouldering, speed climbing and lead climbing. Tell us a little bit about which one you prefer and which do you cater more to when you're when you're doing your trainings? Yeah, so the Olympics were a unique format that we actually had never had before. We only got one medal, but we have three disciplines, like you just said. And so we really wanted something that would showcase all three disciplines while still using only one medal. And so we did a combined format, which it combines your rank of each discipline. So you had to be really well-rounded. You had to do speed climbing, you had to do lead climbing, and you had to do bouldering. And Speed climbing is pretty self-explanatory. It's the same wall anywhere. You can climb the same wall in Chicago as you could in Munich, Germany, you know, like same exact wall, all specs the same. And so, and that's just about how fast you can do it. Bouldering is my favorite discipline and what I train the most. And it's short climbs where you fall to the ground onto a mat and it's more about strength and power and you get multiple tries per climb and you get five minutes to try and do it. And then in lead climbing, you actually only get one try, and it's the more endurance-based event. And so you do more like 50 or 60 moves, and it's about how far you get on the climb. And so why do you like bouldering? It sounds like you always like falling to the ground. <laughs> yeah, you are. Like Climbing's funny because you are constantly failing. Like if you look on the internet, all you see is you know people topping climbs and all this. But behind every top is so many falls. And so it, you really get good at finding the wins in your fails. So, you know, if you're – getting closer to holding a hold, that's sometimes the, the win that you have to look at versus, you know, actually doing a climb. Sometimes you have to look at these small things that are getting you closer to doing it, but not actually doing it. What makes you a great climber or other people great climbers? What is it that you need in terms of the ingredients to be really good in this sport? Definitely there's physical aspects as well as mental aspects. Problem solving is a really big part of climbing. Sometimes you look at a climb and be like, I have no idea how to do this. And so you just have to figure out how to position your body, how to hold the holds, what you can do different between tries to make yourself be able to do it. And so that is that big problem solving aspect. And then there's also the physicality of it, of course. Like you're, It's pretty full body, definitely a lot of upper body strength, core strength, and a lot of technique as well. Well, some people describe your climbing style as aggressive and others describe it as reckless, I think is the <laughs> word that I, that I wrote. So do you feel like those are accurate assessments of your climbing style? How would you describe your style? I, I think it's definitely true. Like I, I think I climb a lot more powerfully, especially than a lot of my female competitors that I compete against, just because... I really like moving fast. I think I have more fast twitch muscle than like slow twitch muscle. I think if I had not found climbing, I maybe would have been a sprinter or something like that just because it works well. Like that's just how my body is. I just move fast. I talk fast I do everything fast. But yeah, I guess. <laughs> I love that. Well, why do you think rock climbing took so long to be part of the Olympic Games? And why do you think that the Federation has taken just so long to add the sport? Yeah, I think climbing is just a little bit more counterculture, kind of like skateboarding or surfing. Even watching skateboarding documentaries, I see so many similarities to climbing. And it's kind of cool that we got into the games at the same time, just because of those you know, similarities. But I think that's kind of why it took so long for 
the IOC to add us to the Olympic roster just because it's not what the game's history has been. You know, history is in like equestrian and these like really old school sports, wrestling, things like that. And so adding these new school sports is definitely going to bring a much younger audience. And I think it took time for them to realize that they needed that. Yeah, I was the general manager of Nike Skateboarding and when we were, you know, working with the IOC to convince them to bring skateboarding in. And it was definitely really divided in the community of skateboarding. Like some were all in and wanted it to be in the Olympics and be a sport. And other people in the community were like, absolutely not. Like that will ruin the sport. So is that the sort of divide within the climbing industry? There is definitely that worry from everybody from old guys who have been climbing in Yosemite since they were 25 and are now 70 to people who are currently competing and were worried that it would ruin where climbing has come from in competition. But I think basically everybody that I've heard thinks of it very positively now that it has happened in the games. And I think we're all aware that we, you know, the, the first games, it was this weird combined format, but it was the best stepping stone to hopefully getting three distinct disciplines in the future. Well, and how do you, I mean, I want to ask this question because as women athletes, we know that we're unfortunately not getting paid yet like the men. So is it the similar situation for rock climbing in that industry? How do you monetize your life as an athlete in this sport? And is it the same between men and women? Yeah, I actually think climbing is pretty even when it comes to men and women getting paid. Like our prize money is the same. Our World Cups take place at the same event. Men and women qualify on the same day and then our finals are obviously separate. But prize money is exactly the same, spectating is the same, it's on the same, live streams, things like that. So I think as far as that goes, it's really, the equality is there. It kind of depends on your personal sponsorships. So that's how most of my income comes from, is from personal partnerships with brands and Instagram followings, things like that. And so that's where most of my income comes from. And I work with an agent to help me get those brand deals like that. Yeah, I mean, that's like the number one thing. Mostly it's not prize money across the different sport fleets um, or for men, actually. it's mm-hmm. It really comes from sponsorships. So do you think the sponsorship opportunities are equal between men and women? Yeah, I would say they definitely are. I think, especially in the US too, a lot of the women have better Instagram followings in climbing and so, and like, you know, are more active on social media than a lot of the guys. And so I think that adds to being able to get a better deal to begin with. But obviously that's really unique to climbing and not totally true across the board. But I think we're definitely something to be looked at when it seems when when you're looking for an example of what to do. Um, I think there's a few things, I think, for quality and, and payment, especially. Thank you for listening to the Voice and Sport podcast. This is just a quick interlude from Kate Tugman, the producer of this Voice and Sport podcast episode. I run track and cross country at UCLA. I love working with Voice and Sport in order to empower young girls and women in sports. I would love if you could join us in trying to make a change. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Voice and Sport for more amazing content. You can also sign up for free and join our community of female athletes at voiceandsport.com for mentorship, sports content, inspiration. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and let's get back to it. Well, what are some things that you really are proud of when it comes to uh, the sport of rock climbing that would encourage other young girls to get into the sport or at least consider it? Yeah, it's really taught me a lot about both life and sport, you know, how to deal with failure gracefully, you know, like I said, you fall constantly while climbing. And so being able to overcome that and, you know, learn from it is something that I apply to life very regularly. And I think it just really teaches you how to do that well. and. I also think the community in climbing is just incredible. 
Like all of my best friends are all climbers who I've met through climbing. And it's something that you can do for your entire life. Like something like football is really hard to do once you get, you know, over 40. <laughs> Maybe Tom Brady's the one example. <laughs> but climbing, you can, I see 70 year old women climbing top ropes at the gym and just crushing. And, you know, so like I plan to be that one day. <laughs> I love that. Well, are there any specific resources you'd like to share to help other young girls get more informed about rock climbing and how to get? There's tons of, you know, organizations around like, Brown Girls Climb is a really good one. I'm trying to think. I'm putting me on the spot a little bit. There's tons of ones. There's a lot of gyms have teams, youth teams specifically. So if you're wherever you are, if you reach out to a gym, they maybe have some sort of women's climbing night or a team. And so reaching out to them and seeing if they have either of those things would be a really good way to get started. A lot of universities also have climbing teams now. There's a collegiate series. So yeah, that would be my best advice for, for getting into it. I would love to dive a little bit more into like this mindset piece that you're talking about and like how to deal with failure and, and all of those things, because you were named um, one of Time Magazine's Next Generation Leaders, which is pretty incredible. So in what ways are you a leader within and outside of sport and how has rock climbing really, you know, fostered that leadership in you? Let's see. I'm on the board of USA Climbing, so I'm one of the athlete directors um, on the board. And so something that I'm really passionate about is definitely advocating for the athlete voice and so I really try to talk to my peers and make sure that I am getting a representative view from everybody about what I'm presenting to the board as far as the athlete opinion even if it disagrees with my opinion that's something that's definitely really important to me I'm also on multiple athlete commissions so the USA climbing one the international federation of sport climbing's athlete commission as well as our pan-american athlete commission and I'm also now on the USOPC so the United States Olympic and Paralympic committees athlete commission and so all of those things just come back to advocating for athletes and that comes from a variety of angles whether it's team selection so being able to go to world cups or making the sport more inclusive and fair and things like that those are things that i'm really passionate about for sure yeah let's talk about that because we know it's a predominantly white sport and you know you even were quoted i think talking about just racism and sexism within the rock climbing community when you were interviewed by time magazine so can you unpack that a little bit for us like why do you think that is and what is it that we can do to create a more supportive inclusive environment in rock climbing yeah i think the barrier to entry to climbing is, you know, definitely a little steep. You need to have climbing shoes and a harness and chalk bags and chalk and all these things. And then a gym membership and or to have some sort of mentor to bring you outside and teach you how to climb outside to begin with. And so that's like, you know, just that activation energy to be able to be into climbing in the first place is definitely part of it. And then, yeah, just being a predominantly white sport, you know, that's what most of the media portrays it as. It's white people climbing. And so if you start that's just one area where you can work and make make it even just look more inclusive so people can even imagine themselves doing it to begin with. And, you know, our paraclimbing community has been growing immensely and we really want to get paraclimbing into the Paralympics as well. And so that's something that we just really want to grow and just keep continuing to grow the sport just because I think it's an amazing sport for more people to get into. But like we need to figure out ways to combat that that barrier to entry, essentially. And that's definitely something we're working on with USA Climbing and tons of gyms and organizations across the country are working on it. My friend Kai has Climbing for Change that provides grants for people to be able to compete and things like that. And there's tons of other stuff around that like that. So it's definitely something that's been, you know, growing and it's really exciting to see. And we've been working on inclusive policies with USA Climbing with our DEI committee to make sure that, you know, there's trans inclusion in our sport and things like that.
I love it. Well, what what advice would you have to anybody out there that's in the climbing industry, whether they're just in the community as an amateur climber or they're covering media or they're in a leadership position or running a gym? Like what would be, you know, a piece of advice for everybody out there to ensure that you're make we are all making climbing a more inclusive environment? I would say definitely making safe spaces, you know, making a women's only climbing night or making a BIPOC climbing night, things like that, I think do a lot to grow the community and like allow people to, you know, meet other people who are in similar positions and stuff like that, as well as finding those organizations, partnering with them, you know, providing even if like free memberships or just a few can make a huge difference. So that would be my, off the top of my head, a couple of secrets. <laughs> Well, you've talked a lot about the importance of leading by example and influencing those around you for better, but it's so important to understand that leadership has a lot to do with confidence, right? So I want to dive in a little bit to confidence and what your perspective is around creating confidence for yourself, whether that's in your sport or your life. What are some of the things that you've personally faced just dealing with confidence as a young woman in sport and how have you built it up over the years? I think, you know, something that I come by naturally is that I have a lot of blind confidence is kind of how my roommate has put it. Um, like, I'm just like, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Whether it's flipping the door in my house so that it opens the other way or, you know, being able to do a climb, both of those things. I'm just like, I can do that. No problem. Or overcoming back surgery. I was never even worried about it because I was like, I can definitely do that. It's fine. But I think that type of attitude was definitely misconstrued, especially when I was a kid, you know, adult men would see me and call me out tell me I was arrogant or that I was too confident and looking back it makes me so mad that some guy who was 25 would tell a 13 year old girl that she's too confident because there's no such thing I think you know confidence should be fostered and it should be done well you can be cocky and you can learn your lesson about not being overly arrogant you know but I think confidence is something that is hard to come by as a woman in our world. And so we should definitely foster it and make sure that uh, young women especially don't get told that it's wrong. Well, some girls lose a lot of their confidence because they're basing it off of what their coach says or somebody else says, right? Like you just mm -hmm. described. So how do you go about talking with your coach if you do feel like your coach is putting you down? I think making sure you stand up for yourself is super important. I think that's something that, again, I've, I, it's, part of my personality is if I thought somebody wronged me, I would bring it up to them and be like, I think you wronged me, basically, which is hard to do, especially if it's somebody who maybe other people are even agreeing with them. And so I really try to look at a situation and evaluate it and think, is this good criticism? Is this something that'll make me into a better person? Or is this something that is bringing me down? And then if it is something that is bringing you down for no good reason, for example, telling a 13-year-old girl that she's too confident, then bring it up. Say, I think that's not something you should say to me and things like that. So it's easier said than done. Um, and sometimes it's even easier to do over email or something like that so that you don't have to deal with emotions and you can reread what you're writing. But that's definitely something that I've had to do in the past. Well, growing up, you know, I mean, this is one of the main things that main reasons why we built voice in sport is we want to give young girls confidence to keep playing sport. And unfortunately, we know a lot of the systemic issues within the sports industry contribute to why they fall out. And we want to create a, a safer environment, a safer space and a community of women that are going to really help them and lean on them. So, you know, when you think back about your experience as a young woman, especially in a sport that does have a lot to do strength and power, you know, it's you and the wall. And a lot of that, unfortunately, can lead back to comparing yourselves to others and body image. So can you just talk a little bit about like the sport and where it's at with healthy body image, nutrition, and what advice 
advice you might have for other young girls out there that might be facing some of those challenges? Definitely. I think that's a super hard subject to talk about. And climbing definitely is still in its infancy as far as learning how to deal with these problems. And it is something that is really, really common in climbing because climbing is a strength to body weight ratio sport, especially. Um, I think there's just tons of examples in the media of, you know, people looking really skinny and starting to climb really hard. And you see that and you think that that is the only way that you can get to those goals or climb that hard. And so I think something that I've been really passionate about is being vocal about you don't have to do that in order to reach those goals. Like I personally have never struggled with an eating disorder. I've been surrounded by it my whole life just being in climbing, but you know, I've made the Olympics. So that was something that I really wanted to make sure I drew a point to because you usually only hear these stories of people after they've gone through it and saying like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, but I also was winning. And so making sure that we tell the stories of people who didn't do that and were also winning or doing well, pushing limits in a healthy way, I think is super important so that it's possible to do it in that healthy way. Yeah. How have you considered like nutrition in terms of like your performance? How have you integrated that along the way? And were you always like really good at fueling your body, even in like those high school, college years, or has, is it something that you've developed? I remember in college, my roommate, uh, I was living with two guys and one of them was like, you cook more than anybody I've ever seen cook in college. And I was like, weird. I thought everybody cooked. Like, it's just how I thought it went. Um, but that's figured out what I like to eat. And then I feel really good about knowing what I'm, how I've always managed my own nutrition is I cook a lot, figured out what I like to eat. I don't try to restrict anything. I think that's like kind of a slippery slope to get down, especially just being surrounded by it and climbing. And so I try not to restrict, but I try not to overdo anything too much, you know? What do you do if you, I mean, I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong here, but if you have seen some of your teammates or friends that are going down a path that's not healthy with their relationship with food and restricting food intake, what can you do as a supportive teammate to really be there for them? I think it's super hard just because in climbing, especially, usually the people who you're seeing go through it are people who you're directly competing with. And so bringing it up with them on a personal note can be really difficult because it could seem like you're just being too competitive or something like that. So I've definitely tried to do more behind the scenes work as far as making awareness in general um, and then hopefully bringing it up to coaches and things like that so that they can maybe approach it because it could potentially be better coming from a coach than from a peer in that scenario. To continue listening to this podcast, please go to minute number 30 on voiceandsport.com and sign up for free. Kira goes on to talk about her goals for the rest of her career in rock climbing, as well as what she plans to do after she's done with professional sports. This episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Kate Tugman, a track and cross-country runner from UCLA. We are so grateful that Kira shared her story with us today in order to inspire younger women athletes who wish to get into the sport of rock climbing. Kira, we wish you the best for the rest of your career, and we're excited to see what you do next. You can follow Kira on Instagram at Kira underscore Condi. Please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. If you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join Voice and Sport, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top viz experts in sports psychology and nutrition. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast. <laughs>